Hi, this is Kalia. And this is Chris. And this is It's, it's a, a Queer, queer thing. thing. On this show, we focus on politics, civil rights, news, and entertainment. And on this show, we have special guests and interviews focusing on issues relevant to the LGBTQ plus community. So let's get to it. Happy Pride, Chris. Happy Pride. Happy Pride. We're just going to just, you know, I think we're just going to do this all the time now. Every episode's going to start with Happy Pride, even if I it's not like Pride it's Month. I feel like it's going to evolve into like HP. No longer <laughs> Happy Pride. Just HP, Kalia. HP. Oh, no. Now I'm thinking Harry Potter and no, no, no. Oh, never mind. yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. We'll come up with something for sure. Okay. <laughs> well, you know, as part of our Pride Month slew onslaught of episodes we are really excited today for this interview which is with daryl demure who is miss demure famous celebrity of dayton ohio who was able to talk to us about public access television and maintaining optimism and a lot of celebrity name dropping that's the interview and how have- suzanne summer's character from three's <laughs> company is from fresno which <laughs> which we didn't know yes it's exciting we didn't know. yeah, yeah so I, I didn't know i friended daryl on uh, facebook recently and i saw other people from fresno that were already friends of daryl so you know there we go around the block i didn't even know it so before we jump into the interview, I have a question for you. Um, at one point, Daryl's talking about the Pride events, the Pride Parade in Dayton, and then, then there were prizes for the different floats. And that like triggered something in my brain. I feel like I have heard of that before where there's like a parade and then some float wins a pride have or a prize have have they ever done that in Fresno? Do you know? Is They've there... done that every year in Fresno, as a matter of fact. Oh my but god! I did yeah, but I did not see anything this year. It's usually best float, most festive. Because I what I used to do floats, and you and I have done floats in in the Pride Parade when we were with Gay Central Valley, and I did it when I was with the North Tower Circle, the Red Lantern, etc. And every year there's most festive, there's best decorated. There, I, there's I don't know what the categories are, but it's happened every year. Wow. Okay, so um, this is embarrassing because I've been in probably 12 to 15 different pride parades over the course of my the last 10 15 years of my life and i've never even thought about the competition aspect of no, it no i thought you know <laughs> i always thought we should have won the year we did the stonewall uh, i was going to say that was yeah. a really good float for those of you who didn't see it we had people in the quote unquote paddy wagon we'd built a little jail on the back of the truck and we had people in there and then we had rioters around on the outside carrying signs and and quote unquote protesting duplicated which from the original signs at the first christopher street parade in 1970 so i thought it was great and you can find i'll I'll post some pictures on our facebook page you can find stuff there yeah i got to dress like a hippie it was fun and i got to dress as a cop which come on guys that was fun too for gay guys dressing as a cop that was you know one of the best pictures of the two of us actually is the year that you were the cop it is it's one of my favorites anyways what happened when i came home (laughs) well then well you know what first no wait wait the time i was a cop at pride and then the time i just did recently where i was a uh a cowboy in the uh uh, yeah, the queer love letter to queer Fresno. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Of that event. Yeah. Some outfits are worth investing I mean, in people. 
I know you don't care how I feel about your outfits because I'm not your target audience, but I will just let you know <laughs> that I think cowboys are infinitely sexier than cops. So just you for think what is infinitely sexier than cops? Cowboys. Cowboys oh, are cowboys. way sexier than cops. And cowgirls are even sexier. So just Yeah, well that... I think I think for gay guys, cowboys and, and cops are right at the top of the list. What about a construction worker, Chris? Just oh, so... yeah, well, that too. <laughs> and you That's got the leather daddy. Story. Here yeah, we go. <laughs> there was a there was a year that we went to see the village people perform at the Fresno Fairgrounds, and they came to the Red Lantern afterwards, and I got to hang out with the village people. That was that was a lot of fun. Yeah, that sounds like fun. Well, you know, it's not quite so much fun, but also has a lot of celebrity name dropping. Is this interview that we're about to jump into right here? So take it away swoosh and uh we will be back at the end of the interview for a quick wrap-up so keep listening all right so welcome to it's a queer thing we are here with daryl demure daryl what's is that the drag name yes he ms demure as well ms demure ms demure right yeah i i got hooked up with you because my husband is from dayton and he reached out to our friend in uh, Dayton and said, you know, my husband has this podcast and we're looking to talk to drag performers throughout the country because we're very interested in, you know, the drag legislation and bans and so on that's going on throughout the country. And that's how I connected with you. And then you connected with me and we talked on the phone. But let's pretend we didn't and tell us who you are and what you do. Well, my name is Daryl Demure, producer of Hoppers Bazaar World Presents the Ms. Demure Show, which is the oldest LGBTQ plus public access variety talk show in the USA. And I, I've been on air starting uh, May, my 23rd season on air. I air in most uh, Ohio cities, mainly southwestern Ohio. I, I also air every Friday in New York on the Manhattan Neighborhood Network as well. And you can watch episodes of Harper's Bazaar World Presents the Ms. Demure Show on DATV.org. If you want to watch it on on demand or Vimeo. Wow, that's exciting. How did you get involved in doing that? What's your or what is your origin story? Oh, my God. Well, I'm I'm by the way, I'm 57 years old. So I was kind of a late bloomer uh, starting in drag. When I was in high school, I took drama and then uh, that took a little break because I was, you know, just discovering who I am, like everyone in the rainbow you know, just trying to figure out what my uh, norm is or what it isn't or, you know, what universe I belong in. So I originally uh, went to school for broadcasting. I went to International College of Broadcasting. I have an associate degree in communication arts for television. I dabbled in that a little bit. But, you know, at that time, I was still going through a lot of struggling, you know, with my family and and, you know, just a lot of, you know, generational trauma that gets inherited. But um, in my 30s, I started, uh, you know, sort of reaching out to people that were in the industry. And, and I started finding an interest in, in it again. And, and I thought, wow. And I've always been kind of a crazy, wacky person. So um, I used to be a club kid back in the 90s. I was a punker. And I've always liked old Hollywood and and that sort of connected me with becoming Ms. Demure. And one day um, back in the uh, late 90s, I was watching a, a, my local uh, cable channel surfing and I started seeing all these crazy, surreal public access television shows. And I thought, 
oh my God, I can do that. And I went, I marched down to the studio and they had a uh, break room with a bulletin board with producers looking for collaborations. And I signed up and I've been down there ever since. They thought it was a practical joke when I arrived down there. <laughs> Did you arrive as Ms. Demure? No, no. Actually, I met this older lady named Kiki Carcassamo. She had this show called Cleo's Place where she featured uh, performers, musicians, you know, entertainment. And I saw I saw the uh, business card and I called her and I said, I'd like to come on your show. We started collaborating. And when I arrived at DATV, they thought it was a practical joke. But here's the thing. Public access television is the original social media, if you think about it. And so all walks of life, all types of communities. And I thought, you know what? I really belong down here because I didn't really connect with my rainbow as far as nightclubbing and uh, as far as being a, a drag queen at night at a nightclub. I could as far as being a punker or being a club kid, but I just didn't really mesh well with that. So I thought this is a this is a venue for me to create my own originality. And I remember RuPaul had a short lived show on VH1 in the 90s. And I thought, wow, there's no one doing this right now. Why not do it and see what happens? And the rest is history. I remember that RuPaul show. I loved that RuPaul show. That was at the that was at the very beginning. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, and so um, going down there, you know, the station is such a family, and uh, it really is the original social media, and we all get along very well. But when I arrived down there, because you know, to get a series time slot, I had to turn in four shows at once. And no one wanted to work with me. No, no producers and the staff actually had to help me create some of my earlier shows. So talk about that. Do you just walk into public access and say, I want to do a show? And they say, OK, there's the equipment. Go do it. And you have to learn how to do everything else. Well, you have to take the workshops and you have to be certified. So you have to take basic studio, basic camera, all of that. And I did it all. And um, finally... You know, one of my earliest directors who did collaborate with me, uh, God rest his soul, his name is Ed Willette. He was from Yellow Springs, Ohio. And I don't know if you're familiar with Yellow Springs, Ohio. It's, very, it's a very hippie little town here in, 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 in Ohio. Um, Coretta Scott Skeen, she graduated from Antioch College there. And Dave Chappelle lives there. That's oh. a whole nother story. But, you know, he directed my earlier shows. And he was a Tuskegee Airman in World War II. And I remember one afternoon we were taping an episode and I said, I said, Mr. Willette, are you are you going to be uncomfortable with directing a, a drag queen? And he said, let me tell you something, young lady. I flew airplanes in World War II. I was a, a, a police officer in Chicago. And let me see, I met all types of female impersonators, which I loved. It was so old school. <laughs> And he said, I'd never met anyone as nice as you. And it was just all these crazy moments where I started meeting these really interesting people. I remember back in 2002, we took the uh, our, our portable cameras down to UD, University of Dayton, because Greg Luganis was in town and he was speaking at the university. So we brought our cameras there and there was a Q&A moment. And this is before social media took off. And I walked up to the mic and I had my camera per person there. And I said, I said, Mr. Luganis, I have a very important question to ask you. And he said, what, my dear? 
I said, do you like my blonde hair? And everyone started laughing in the room. And then I found out from my camera person that all the batteries weren't charged. So I said, oh my God, I have to save this moment. So I walked back up to that mic and I said, Mr. Leganis, I'm back again. And I said, would you do me another favor? And he said, what, my dear? I said, will you let me take a picture with you? And he said, yes. Yeah. So every gay publication and, and magazine and paper, and they were all there and they took pictures. And we were in every, I was on every cover that summer. And I really started taking off because, you know, at the end of the first season, I was actually let out of my contract for six months because my show used to air at five o'clock in the afternoon. And an irate parent called and said their little five-year-old saw me on television, was traumatized, but yet they had a neo-Nazi show on at the time and it received over a hundred calls. So I had to get a lawyer and march down there and we had a hearing and I was suspended for a few months. But even though I was suspended, I was still airing South of Town, still filming. And because of that, my show that really my show really took off after that. Wow. And what year was this that, that the parent complained? Oh, this was back in 2001. Wow. Okay. So, I mean, that's that's so reminiscent of what we want to talk about in coming up with about what parents are doing with drag across the country. But I want to know from you, you started the show in what year in 90s? I arrived at DATV in 99 and 2000 is when I shot my pilot. And so late 2000, early 2001 was my season one. Okay, so what was gay life in Dayton? This was in Dayton, right? What was gay yeah. life in Dayton like at that time? Well, you know, we had this nightclub called 1470, which was the Studio 54 of the Midwest. And that <laughs> era was sort of coming to a close. And so the next phase was celebrity. It was, uh, it was this, this old restaurant or supper club, that is. They had a stage on their high, it was on the hydraulic system. And that was the next, that was the next era and so there, I would go to this nightclub with my best friend, who is six foot ten. And back then, I was very tiny. I'd wear my bathing suit. He would dress in a loincloth, and I would feed him animal crackers. And we would do all these publicity stunts at the bar, and it just got us all attention. I said, "Oh my God, I have to have him on my show." And uh, we became, an, you know, we became like the dynamic duo. He was making publicity stunts. One of our biggest publicity stunts was back in 2001. At that time, Dayton was only doing Pride dinners. We didn't have Pride parades. So what I did was I joined the Dayton Pride Partnership. So we built this elaborate rainbow float. We took it to Columbus and we won the statewide parade. There was That was the most diverse float because we had a live DJ on there. You know, I was an African-American girl on there. We had someone dressed as Dorothy. We had Asian girls on there. We had someone that was disabled. We had a couple of people that were HIV positive. Everything about that float was, it, it, it was the reason that we won because it was, you know, it was inclusive. And the crazy thing about that, at that time, even in Columbus, which has probably one of the biggest parades in, in the country, every time I would see one of their floats, it would just be a truck full of hot men not that that's a bad thing, but it, <laughs> Agreed. we built a float the first year. There was probably over a hundred thousand people up. I remember the moment we turned the corner and the crowd just went crazy. And afterwards we ran up and we got that trophy. And the next year we won again. And the next year 
I, it was a giant eagle and I was a Statue of Liberty. And let me tell you, there was one moment where we're going down the main street during the parade and the pillar that I was attached to started moving. So my body was straight <laughs> left. I said, oh, my God, this is it. You know, are you trying to tell me something? And it was such a great moment because once again, we were on CNN. There were helicopters up there, you know, filming the whole thing. And we got on CNN. So that next year in 2002 is when we started parades. And we're going to fast forward to this year. Well, actually, last year, those original trophies, I inherited them and I gave them to the center. So this year I created a new award. It's called the Spirit Award. It is for the most diverse, inclusive team building floats. And I gave that out this year at Pride because there's been a lot of infighting in the rainbow. Everyone trying to be at the top of that pyramid when we all should be working together because we have so much to lose. There's so much entitlement and privilege going on within the rainbow. And I thought I've got to do something because these young kids today, they're so fixated on social media and I embrace it and I use it. But they, their attention spans, not all, but a lot is so short that they just can't focus on more than one thing at once. And so you see all this stuff going on, these fires, and they're not doing anything. They're not getting involved. And I, I think everything I do is, you know, in the spirit of Stonewall, you know, what, what, what those trans women and drag queens were doing back then, you know, at Stonewall. And, and everything I do is to honor that legacy. And I'm trying to get these young people to get that. So I'm doing the, the only way I know how by creating an award that if people are going to compete for this award, they have to work together. Mm -hmm. They have to, or else they're not going to win. Do you find that the younger people know what Stonewall is? Uh, no, a lot of them do. And then they, they just sort of make it up. It's just like when you're watching RuPaul's Drag Race and they show all the girls in the workroom and, and they start talking about some of them are really on point, but others, you know, they just, you know, they, they, they Google it or they get on YouTube and look at a clip. They don't actually get out there and just try to find out another award that I'm creating for black gay pride, which is coming up. It is called the rainbow tribe award. And this award is, is about preserving history and keeping the conversation of critical race theory going because right now it's so important. We have so much to lose. And I feel like it's my job. You know, I've never, I've never gotten paid for my drag. Everything I've done is nonprofit. Even where I work at, I work at the Schuster Performing Arts Center. I work at a nonprofit. My TV show is nonprofit. Back in 2012, some friends of mine, we started a dog park in downtown Baton. That was nonprofit. So everything I've ever done, and a lot of the younger people look down at what I do because it's not about money. And as an artist, money would be great. I don't, you know, turn my head to it, but I don't think that's why I do what I do. It's just icing on the cake. And I think, I think a lot of young people just don't understand that because they, I think they just, they're all about that instant gratification. That's just my perspective on that. So what is the target audience for your show? What time are you airing now? And who is the viewership? What's the demographics of the of the viewership? I air every Saturday night at 9 p.m. on DATV Channel 20. In New York, I'm on at 1.30 in the morning. You know, in, in some of the different counties, I'm on. I'm usually on during primetime hour. And um, it's weird. It's like my audience now has gotten older. They've grown older with me. Mm -hmm. And uh, but But I try to stay current, you know, 
I'm not really into the TikTok thing. I just can't get over the. <laughs> I just can't. I'm not there. I'm trying. I call, I call it knock knock, just so you know. Kaylee doesn't like this, but I call it knock knock, just to kind of insinuate that I don't really get it. She she's into it. She loves it. She does great with it. But I call it knock knock. Well, no, and I and I appreciate people that do it. And you know, my goal is if I decide to do other, you know, content outside of what on my program. And I may consider that. And I think it's great. I don't know. It's just my perspective on it. I, I, I'm trying to get myself to that point. I'm just not there yet. And I'm absolutely done with Twitter. So, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. You know, but uh, but getting back to your question about my audience, you know, it's it's more of an older audience. But I have young people to watch it. And, you know, from the very beginning, I always have children on my show since the very beginning. I've had so many children grow up on this show and they they don't think I'm cool anymore because, you know, they have their own lives. <laughs> but, you know, even the show that's airing this Saturday night will be the first time I've had kids back on the show probably in the last four or five years because the, the show format is constantly changing. I don't really think about it. I just sort of go with the universe. Like back in March of 2020, when the pandemic happened, you know, DATV took a small break and we just didn't know how we were going to function. And I had been doing Skype in the past, but Zoom really opened up the door and I started interviewing more celebrities again. The first celebrity that I interviewed was Bruce Valanche, five-time Emmy winner. He's written for the uh, Oscars. He's a permanent Hollywood Square on the Hollywood Squares. He's written for the Brady Bunch, Partridge Family, all these shows from the early 70s. And then uh, Michael Musto, who is still writing for The Village Voice. So I've been interviewing a lot of celebrities in the last year. And last year was my first time in a national magazine. I was in The Advocate, which is the oldest LGBTQ plus magazine since 1967. They did a feature article with me. Yeah, I, I saw I saw that that uh, in The Advocate. And that was a great article. You know, you know, Dayton, everybody. My husband and I have a joke about Ohio and especially Dayton. We want, when we watch TV, it constantly comes up on Jeopardy and whatever. They're always, I can sit down at the TV and within two minutes, Ohio is mentioned, whatever it be. But um, I, I saw your advocate article. We Fresno was actually in the advocate. My husband and I were in it in 2000. I've got it right here, 2006, because there was some stuff going on here. Okay, so adding to my bucket list, Kalia needs to be in the advocate so she can sit with the cool kids. You need to be in the advocate, <laughs> exactly, exactly. And every month now, I'm inter I've been interviewing the editor in chief, Tracy Eaglechrist, who's now has a show on YouTube and Apple TV called uh, Advocate Today. And you know, just the other day, she interviewed uh, Belinda Carlisle, and I have a Belinda Carlisle story Ooh. to tell you. Well, back in 2016. You know, uh, the Go-Go's was on their farewell tour, so they came to Dayton, Ohio, and they were at the Rose Music Center. So I was wearing this lime green cap band, and it was so windy there at, 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 the, uh, at the venue. And so I'm up front, and she gives me this gesture, and so she says, look at the woman in the lime green cap band. So I went up on stage with her, and I was a background dancer for her, and the wind was catching, and it was like, oh, my God, it was such a firefly moment. And then she said, will you tell your audience about yourself? Well, I said, I'm Ms. Demure, and I'm producer of Hopper's Bazaar World Presents the Ms. Demure Show. She said, do you want to talk about your show? I said, no. All I want to say is happy birthday. This was her moment. Aw. 
So I, I want to know, Daryl, when you first decided to do this show, I mean, come on, it's pretty daunting in the year 99 or 2000. And you have to now, and you said they demanded four shows up front. As far as I know, you hadn't done this before. What was your thought process on how to go forward? And how did you decide this is going to be my format? This is going to who, or did you just wing it in the beginning? What happened? Well, you know, my love of old movies, because I'm very delusional. I watch, I watch TCM religiously. So I, in my mind, I, I'm an old 1940s movie. And, and plus, you know, I've always been in the hospitality industry, customer service. So, and, and I'm an actor. So I just knew if I went down there, you, you get to say or do anything on air. And so, you know, the green screen is my uh, canvas. I do all my lip sync numbers in front of the green screen. And then I have sock puppets that uh, I have one named Shaniqua Pinkbrush. She's a homegirl. I used to get in arguments with her also all the time. And I have Pinky Think Pinky. He's a pink flamingo. And so I have those characters that I bring out. Now I only bring them out during the holidays. And I have an Easy Bake Oven segment. And I have a Girl Talk segment. When I interview ladies, it's called Girl Talk. And when I interview the gentlemen, it's called Conversations with Ms. Demure. And uh, now with, with Zoom, you'll see 15 or 20 minutes of my show will be a Zoom interview. The other 10 or 15 will be a sit down. The other part of the pie will be musical numbers. I'll show throwback. So now it's even easier because I have all these archives and I mix with old and new. Like the other day, I had this gentleman who hasn't been on the show since 2014. And he has a, he has a farm. It's called Ohio Wild Therapy Farm. And he raises alpacas. He brought a baby raccoon and he brought an Angora a rabbit. And the first thing I thought when he brought the Angora rabbit, I kept thinking about that Laverne and Shirley episode of Angora deaths. I'm sorry. <laughs> but anyway, but, but it was just so great because I, I get to do that. And, you know, my show is still reinventing itself. So speaking of guests, you mentioned earlier that you've had children on the show and that you haven't had that in a while, but they're they're back. So I want to ask you about pushback or feedback, both positive, negative throughout the, the 20 plus years of doing this show and how that's changed and how that is specifically happening today in the current climate of, you know, anti-drag performances around kids. I know that's like several questions in one, but. Well, it's never really been a problem. I mean, the first time I had children on my show was 2001. It was a Christmas episode. And we were, you know, that Christmas show was about healing because 9-11 had happened. So I brought these two little kids on and I was dancing the, the theme to the Charlie Brown theme. And we're just dancing. It was very wholesome. And, you know, Mr. Muir has always looked very wholesome. So it was never really a, an issue other than that one call from that irate parent. And I've never really had any problems with all the years I've been on air because Oh, you know, the first couple of years I was on at five o'clock in the afternoon. So, you know, they would have seen it. It's never been a problem. And, you know, this whole thing about drag story time, it's just absolutely ridiculous. If you look at old TV shows from the 70s and 60s and 50s, you know, whenever there was a scene where, where there was a cop on the stakeout, there was always a man in drag. Look at Milton Berle. It's if you look at uh, Shakespeare, I mean, it's always been here. And all of a sudden now they wanted to, our conservatives, our far right conservatives, because they don't have anything to talk about, they want to fear and keep bringing this fear up 
so they can divert attention and steal out of your pockets and get votes. It's the same recipe and playbook that keeps coming back over and over. And so what I've been doing, I've been showing some of my archives on Facebook and social media. And every time I put, I put in the title, drag is not a crime. I just, I just bought a shirt that says drag is not a crime. And I've been wearing that around town for various things. So I think all of us in the community, we are very much aware that there's no indoctrination going on, but let's face it, it's pretty real right now what's going on in there. We talked to a couple of drag performers from Tennessee that are going to air on this podcast, and they are concerned about trans people, especially even walking to the bar dressed in the gender that they choose, because that might be considered illegal. It's outrageous that we have to go through this. And these people, they're allowed to get guns, but but trans people, it's a bad thing. Yeah. You know, I feel like we every time we move a few steps forwards, we move a few steps back and we just got to keep going. You know, you know, Madonna has added a city. Uh, she added Nashville to her roster for her greatest hit store. So she's going to be down there and all that money is going to go to our trans sisters. So I love it. I, I love that everyone is out there doing the fight. We just have to keep fighting the fight and be vigilant and just keep doing what we do. I know I'm not going to stop. I want to leave a legacy. So I want to know that I matter and I did something that I was proud of. You know, we were we were talking on the show recently about some pride celebrations in Florida that have been canceled because um, they were afraid that children would be in the vicinity of drag queens and the businesses that were involved on the street might might suffer from that. And uh, and I'm I got so angry at that. I'm like, you don't stop. You keep doing it and you get arrested if you have to get arrested, because this we know this is all BS. And if we don't stand up to it, we don't continue every step of the way and not change one thing. We are in big trouble. Oh, absolutely. I remember a couple of years ago when the whole George Floyd thing happened and I was in downtown Dayton March and we did a sit in and I sat on the street. Of course, I did it side saddle. But, <laughs> you know, I didn't get arrested, but, you know, we got warned there. But I feel like I'm, I'm I'm 57 now and my heirloom is everything that I'm doing right now. I just have to keep doing it. One of the great things I, I, I saw the other day, I was I was watching The View and um, they were talking about all these groups that have been giving getting together and they're giving away all these books. And so there were thousands of people at this event. And. Like, you know, here's the thing, Ron DeSantis, I chanted this at Pride, you know, DeSantis is a crime. <laughs> there should be a t-shirt with that on it. But, you know, here's the thing, all this stuff that's, that's going on with that, with the books and everything, you think these kids don't can't Google it on their phone? Like, they're going to actually stop human beings? That's just crazy. Yeah, I think what that says is what I think is exactly what the purpose of what they're doing is. Their purpose is not to protect children and not to stop us from doing what we're doing. Their purpose is to rally up that base of people that they think will get them elected. And that's the only mm -hmm. thing they can do is create these ridiculous arguments that will rally them up. I think in the end, I hope it will backfire against them. But it's very painful for our community right now. A lot of people are suffering. Well, I believe that there has been such an explosion of diversity across the board. And I think this is a reaction to all that. I can imagine how this is probably rocking them to their core. Everything that we're doing, you know, I think this is just a reaction to all that, but that's not going to stop it. 
It's not going to stop us. We have lived our life in bondage too long. I don't want to go back in the closet. You know, I came out to my father when I was 18 years old and he, he rejected me because, because he couldn't deal with his own homosexuality. And then his mother, who was raped at 16 in 1940, she couldn't live her true rainbow life. She'd lived most of her life in the closet. Wow. She didn't find the love of her life until she was an elderly woman. That dysfunction and trauma was passed down from my grandmother to my father to myself. And I feel like I have to break that cycle. That's why I do what I do. That's another reason I do what I do. I have to break that cycle. So are you a third generational queer? Oh, absolutely. That's absolutely. amazing. <laughs> yeah, I didn't really get a chance to meet my grandmother. But because my father, you know, after she gave him up for adoption, he grew up in an orphanage. And then when he was around 16 or 17, you know, he was adopted for a short time and then they died in a car accident. So he just was, wasn't really meant to be a parent. And now I understand that. You know, when he died, he died in 2018. I took his ashes out to Hollywood. You should have seen that plane ride. They thought I had anthrax on it. I'm <laughs> literally, but I went out to, to the old Hollywood sign because my father loved old classic movies. That was the, you know, when I look back at how we bonded, there was one little small window when I was six, seven, and eight and early teens where we would watch the late, late, late show every Friday before cable. So I took this ashes out there and I went up there to, to the mountain and it was really windy and I released the the ashes and I said some words and I fi I, I finally gave him his, his final resting place and his birthday is December 24th. My birthday is December 26th. I went to Midnight Mass. I went to a, a, a rainbow church. <laughs> I did the whole thing. And then I went shopping on Rodeo Drive. But it was my way of giving him that closure. And let me share this with you. When Adele had her live concert up there by the Hollywood sign, my father had front row seats. <laughs> that's so great. About a circle moment, you know? Yeah, that's great. That is really, really nice. So let me ask you, you've had a lot of cool people on the show, but you also name dropped earlier that Dave Chappelle lives near you. So has Dave Chappelle been on your show or oh, and, uh, is that in talks? Here's the thing about Dave Chappelle. I have a very um, complicated, you know, issue with him. I mean, it's so weird. Like I just interviewed the mayor, uh, Mayor Pam of Yellow Springs, and she actually is a retired school teacher. And she taught Dave when he was in sixth grade. And she told me in one of our interviews, she said, and I said, well, what do you think about the whole controversy with him in the, in the trans community? She says, you know, I'm, I'm, you know, I'm a little divided on that. I mean, I love what he's done for Yellow Springs, but I, I'm really, you know, I'm really struggling with that. And, uh, mm -hmm. and I feel the same way. I went on a podcast, uh, it was like two years ago, and it was, it was so surreal because I was the only drag queen and the other three were trans women. And two of them didn't think what Dave Chappelle did was a bad thing. And, and I was really struggling with them because to me, as a, as a gay person, especially being a gay man dealing with um, my own African-American community and how they have issues with, with the rainbow, you know, it's a whole historic thing and being in the church. And so I felt like when Dave Chappelle you know, he had this friend that was 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 trans, but at the same time, I felt like the way that he handled it 
it was almost like a, the boys club. He wanted them to pat him on the back. That's the, my percept mm-hmm. perspective of it. And so I still struggle with that. That's interesting. I, I had a lot of conversations with people about the Dave Chappelle thing when it happened and happened again. It happened a second time. I love Dave Chappelle. I think he's a great comedian. And I have I tend to hold this very foundationally in my heart is that the way that art, drag, everything in the art community, it's acceptable to do whatever you do because it's art. I feel the same thing about yeah. comedy. I think it's okay to make jokes about whoever you want to make jokes about. It doesn't mean that you're anti-LGBT or anti-woman or anti-Black or anti-whatever. That being said, I get the, some of the feelings that the community has over Dave Chappelle. I don't really share it. I believe, I don't know Dave, but I believe that he's supportive of the LGBTQ community. I think he's just a comedian and he found humor in that. And let's face it, we all find humor in our in our own community. I mean, I mean, there's a lot of humor there. Not that it's at the expense of others, but I think you have to have humor. Like, well, I've had a lot of death in my life, and I've had to use humor to get through that. Yeah, and, and you know, you, you hit it right on the head of the nail. It's, you know, one of my favorite, two of my favorite comedians of all time is, you know, Joan Rivers and Phyllis Diller. And what I love about Joan is that she she made fun of her pain. It was her way of dealing with it. And I totally get what Dave Chappelle I'm not, you know, I and I and I watched the Netflix special and I didn't think it was as bad as what people were were saying. But at the same time, he kept going back to that subject. You know, three fourths of the show was on that subject. And so I can't That's say true. That- That's true. I just feel like there's a difference between punching up and punching down. And I feel like also it's it's a little bit intellectually lazy to revisit a well like that so many times in the in one special and stuff. So, yeah, and it is different. You say there's humor in our community and there is, but it's very different when we tease each other when someone who's not in the community, you know, the same joke can land very differently. But I mean, that's we're all going to have different opinions, I think, on all of this. Yeah, and obviously it's very subjective because the three of us have different opinions. Yeah. So. You know, I, I struggle with that within my own community. There is a, something happened here in the Miami Valley. Uh, we used to have this wonderful show bar and that ended up closing, you know, around COVID. And then the, the only show bar that we have left here in the Miami Valley, the, the owner of the bar said something very racist. This gay man said something very racist. And it's because he had issues, he had personal issues, demons that he was dealing with. And so whenever he got into that state of mind, he would just say careless things just to, you know, how people throw grenades just to get attention. And then when he got tired of the backlash and he was angry at the community because they were calling him out on the backlash. And and you can't just turn that off and then throw grenades at people because it's it's just you know, it's the it, there was a privilege, the privilege that's been going on within the rainbow. I've had to deal with it. Like, you know, our our LGBT center, we have a new home now. We have new people run, running it. Sometimes when you have the same people running stuff for a long time, it starts to get a little bit tainted. I remember when I interviewed Bruce Valanche, I interviewed him twice, and he was interested in coming to Dayton Bride. And when I brought it to the uh, committee, one particular person who knew how much I gave to the community. I even gave her an award. She didn't even return my message. I didn't even deserve a response because of that privilege. And I was being shut down. And so it's another reason why I created these extra awards. 
I, I said the best thing I can do instead of fighting these people on their ignorance is just show them. Show them and be the best version of who you are. You know, Kaylee and I, 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 you probably don't know this, but Kaylee and I ran a nonprofit, helped run a nonprofit for several years. And we ran an LGBTQ community center here in Fresno for about seven years. Oh. And so we're very aware of what you just said about, you know, two pe people who are in power in any nonprofit over time tend to stagnate a little bit and they don't address the needs of the community. We, we were all volunteers, so it was very hard to bring people in because no one was getting paid. We were doing all this of our own time and on the side of our regular jobs and lives, so it was difficult. But, you know, I want to correct myself in something we talked about before you interviewed me. We had talked on the phone and you brought up Fresno, so I forgot that Chrissy Snow's character was from Fresno. Oh, not Suzanne <laughs> Summers. Okay. Yeah, thank character. you. He oh okay. God. Yes, we had a conversation on that, and I was very confused. <laughs> yeah, because Daryl said you should interview Suzanne Summers. She's from Fresno. And I'm like, I never knew that. I knew Cher was from Fresno, but there's no way we're going to get Cher. But now it makes sense. Yes, yes. I like how you say you know you you bump on a uh, Ohio gets mentioned all the time. Fresno. Now that I live here, because I'm not a native Fres. Nen, Fresnian, but uh, that Fresno definitely gets mentioned. We were just watching some random animated show with my daughter the other day, and some new character was like, "Oh yeah, I'm from Fresno," and I was like, "Well, yeah." Okay. But I guarantee you, just just next time you're watching TV, whatever, just listen for Ohio. It happens all the freaking time. Well, even in old movies, and I mean, like the other day, I was watching because every now and then, you know, I get on uh, Instagram and and. I tell you, those algorithms, they just keep you pulling you right in, I tell you. And so I saw an, a, a Dynasty clip, and so I, I'm, I'm like scrolling through it, and then I realized that that Crystal Carrington's uh, character is from Yeah, Bay see? <laughs> yep. How hilarious is that? All, all connected, for sure. So, Daryl, tell me how you think we as a community, this is our common question to everybody, how we get through this point of our evolution obviously this election is coming up and who knows maybe trump will be taken out by this indictment we don't know but you know ron DeSantis is just as bad and there are others in the party that are just as bad and they are turning people we there are acts of violence across the country now i read about one today where uh, a young girl was playing softball or not softball she was in some kind of sporting event i don't remember what it was but she was a young girl and there was a a parent and uh, a couple of parents there of another boy, and they assumed this girl was transgender. So they started taunting her from the stands until she cried and the parents, other parents had to get involved. So this kind of thing is happening where people are just now coming after trans kids, drag performers, gay people. How do you, how do you see us getting through this? Well, you know, I think we should take a playbook from what happened two years ago with the George Floyd thing. You know, that whole year, there was a series of marches throughout the whole year. And I think we've sort of been a little lax in that. And I think right now, I think it's great that this is a Pride Month, but I think we should take it to another level. I think there needs to be some serious marches. And here's the thing, you know, wokeism, it, that word is being used so badly right now. Just the dumbing down of America I don't understand why people that I know that I see them on social media and they're just there's they're taking this woke word and they're just making it, you know, they're politicizing it. And it's just ridiculous 
people being so dumbed down that they want to live in a little box. They don't want to see reality whatsoever. That's unrealistic. Yeah, the fact that diversity and equity are now becoming dirty words. I read today that if Ron DeSantis, and of course he's running for president, but he said, if I'm elected president, we're going to not only outlaw diversity, but we're going to go after organizations that have diversity and equity inclusion. I mean, these are words that took us decades to get to as a progressive society, and now they're being demonized so much that any person who is accepting or tolerant is looked at as the devil. His cultural wars, I don't know what happened to him when he was a younger person, but you know, uh, something happened to him where he's always going after African-Americans. I think he was devastated you know, when he got married at Disney. And I, I think after seeing how, how Disney's just loves the rainbow, I don't think he's been able to get over that. But I think he's just one big publicity stunt. You know what I mean? Yeah, I agree. Mm-hmm. How is he going to win in a general election if he all of a sudden he's just going to switch from that to, to and then he's going to make himself more moderate? I'm sorry, the Internet does not forget. Right, exactly. How do you deal with what? How do you feel about the fact that, again, we're, I hate to talk about Florida, but I mean, you can't avoid it. How they're banning black education. They're banning. They're trying to. This is what they're trying to do to not to the black community, to the trans community, to the LGBT community. They're trying to erase us. They're trying to be make it so kids don't talk about our us and themselves in school. They're trying to make it so black kids can't learn about their own history because it might hurt the white kids. They, I mean, don't you, I, I get really angry because it's not just that they have a different opinion from us. They're trying to erase us. I won't allow that to happen. I really won't allow that to happen. And so I want to do everything I can in my power. I'm so angry about this that they want to erase. And believe me, I've been in situations where people have tried to erase me because I am not playing the game. And I just won't put up with it. I'm going to shout higher than any mountaintop. I'm going to keep doing what I'm going to do. And and if people get tired of me, then, you know, tough Rocco's. <laughs> Tough Roccos? What tough Roccos? What does that mean? Oh, I, I remember hearing that on the Carol Burnett episode. Oh, okay. <laughs> I love your references. But, you know, I mean, but it's what I feel like. I just feel like, you know, my work is not done. I don't think it's ever going to be done until I can't do it anymore. And as long as I'm able to do what I'm, I'm allowed to do what I'm doing, I'm going to keep on doing it. And we just have a lot of work to do. And, and I just hope I inspire some people. I really want to inspire. Yeah, I think that I think it's so important because we we went to a um, Lillian Faderman uh, talk recently, and she was talking about the history of the LGBTQ movement, how we've come forward from our struggles in the past. And the problem I saw with it was, you know, the way we came out of these struggles was to come out, to be public, to, uh, you know, stand up on our own two feet and say, this is who we are. But now this struggle that we're going through, we already have that. So how do we come through this one? I think you're absolutely right. There's no other way than just to plod forward. We have to keep doing what we're doing, not standing down, not letting people silence us and talk, talk, talk all the time. Exactly. And I, it's, it's like voting. You know, sometimes uh, when I'm talking to these young people about voting and they ask the same question, how, why does it count? Why should I vote? And I said, the way voting works at your local city and state level, it's like a flash mob. It's everybody moving together at the same time. That's how you move the needle. It's not just you voting. It's you working as a team. 
So you need to inspire everyone at the team to move together as a flash mob. I even said that on on my my podcast. I was interviewing this this young man, Marcus Bedinger, and he's the first African American gay man running for commission here. He actually uh, lived in New York for a while, and he worked for Cortez Alexandria. You know, we talked about this, and we and we even chanted together. We said, "Flash mob, everyone moving together in unison," and that's how it works. And so I feel like I have to get a flash mob going. It'll be a flash mob of change. There you go. A flash mob of change. I love that. We did a, um, I, which is embarrassing, but we did a flash mob during one of the pride parades here years ago, but don't ever look it up. It's embarrassing. So Daryl, let me ask you this. You have this show that you've been doing for 20 plus years. If you could have anyone on the show living or dead and what you would want to talk about, who would it be? Oh my God. That's such a hard question because there's so many I know. People. I'll give you two. Let's do two. <laughs> oh my God. Two people that I want to interview. Let me see. Okay. Well, Belinda Carlisle. So check this out. The other night I was talking to Tracy Elgachrist because she was interviewing Belinda on her program. And so I'm hoping because I asked her to say, would, would she say hello to Belinda from Ms. Demir? Cause I showed her all the pictures from the concert and she just went kind of crazy so I'm hoping that will open the door to a one-on-one interview with her. That's one, only because it's it's at the top of my head. And second, I don't think I'll ever get an interview, but I want to get as close to Madonna as possible because she's my icon. Okay, but let's say somebody is no longer with us that you could bring back for an interview. Who would that be? Oh, Tina Turner. Oh, yeah. That's, yeah. She she will never she was irreplaceable, but what an inspiration she was because she reinvented her life. Right. And mm-hmm. I feel connected with her in the sense that I've had to reinvent my life over and over again. You know, when I was six years old, I was hit by a car. I was hit head on, but I was at this hospital and the hospital, check this out. The hospital was called Barney's Children's Hospital then. But you know what I got out of being that hospital experience and I learned later on? Natalie Clifford Barty, she is the namesake of that hospital. She was born in 1871. You have to look her up. She was a artist, a writer. Her family lived in Dayton, but she moved to Paris. She was out and proud. She had a lesbian. She wore pants. She had a lesbian girlfriend. She would hold hands with her. One of her closest friends was Pablo Picasso and Ernest Hemingway. And that, that I felt like her spirit was in me that when I had that car accident and it inspired me years later to become an artist. I know that sounds kind of weird, but I feel so connected with her. You know, she has a historical marker here in Dayton also, an LGBTQ plus historical marker. See, Kaylee, did you see how Dayton came up again just now? It just Dayton again. (laughs) It is. Guess who else who's buried here in Dayton? Who? Agnes Moorhead, who played Endora and Bewitched. Love Agnes. Oh my goodness. Wow. It's a, apparently we need to add a trip to Dayton on our list of things to do. To Dayton. I've been there. I was just That's there true. last year. So Daryl, thank you so much for your time tonight. Can you give us your, all your social media handles, all the things so that the people can find you and all the exciting work that you do? You can find me on uh, Instagram under Daryl Demure and Facebook under Daryl Demure, and you can watch my shows on 
DATV.org. Can people watch archive? Can they watch older episodes? Absolutely. Wonderful. Good, because I want to go back and watch some of these ones that you've mentioned, for sure, for sure. Yeah, you know, all the years that I have gone through trauma, I'm like Oprah, my weight kind of goes up and down. So you'll see skinny and big me <laughs> and all so. Girl, yes. Okay. <laughs> well, thank you so much again. We'll put all those links in the show notes. And um, thank you so much for the interview. Thank you and happy Pride Month. Happy Pride. Whoosh. That's already in the show. I know. It's just easy for me when I'm editing it to like do the whooshes. All right. All right. Okay. Wait, 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 wait. I know how to make it easier. Hang on. Hang on. Oh, my God. I'm scared, you guys. He walked away. He put the camera. Oh, he's got a prop. <laughs> okay. I can't hear it. <laughs> oh. Wait, let me do it near the microphone. It's like non-noise. It, oh wow. He's got one of, it's a visual. It though. is. Yes. It's a great visual gag for our audio only podcast. <laughs> and you know what? I know, I'm not I'm not gonna explain. We're gonna let the listeners guess what kind of prop you were attempting to make noise with. <laughs> okay, all right. <laughs> I can even no no sh- don't give any more clues. Let's let people guess. <laughs> oh, okay. oh, that was a really fun interview, though. I I appreciated that and and the time with Daryl and 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 all the Dayton stuff. And you know, it's interesting because I couldn't help but think of when he was talking about you know the wholesomeness and having the kids. I legitimately was thinking of Mrs. Doubtfire. Did you think about Mrs. Doubtfire? Do you remember how at the end of that movie it ended with? Robin Williams still being Mrs. Doubtfire and having a television show on public access where there was like a freaking puppet and she was like reading a story and stuff. Do you remember this? I didn't, but that makes perfect sense because Daryl uses puppets and is talking about bringing children back after so many years. So it makes perfect sense. I loved it. And I thought, well, you know, again, these conservative people, nobody was mad about Robin Williams being Mrs. Doubtfire at, you know. Right. And and that was. And we as a community. We don't think that way. I mean, I don't think any of us would to go if we weren't having this podcast interview and just talking to Daryl and, and he'd be saying, I'm bringing children back. I don't think there's one of us that would go, do you think that's right to have children on a direct? It just doesn't make sense in our heads because we've been around children and not indoctrinating them for hundreds of years. Yeah, for sure. So, for example, at the recent Fresno Pride event that happened earlier this month, I was taking care of my child and I was actually actually chaperoning two other children who are around her age. So I had an 11 year old and two 10 year old kids that I was responsible for. And we ate and we visited the booths and we bumped around and, and ate our shaved ice. And then we sat on the grass and watched a drag performance and we watched one song and then the kids were like, um, we have to dance. And I was like, of course you have to dance. And they got up and danced, and a bunch of other people got up and danced. It was a wonderful, amazing, fun very fun time. And these kids are not scarred, right? They were having a good time with the music. Then the drag queens got out their t-shirts. They were tossing t-shirts from previous years, prides, festivals, and whatever into the crowd. And these three kids, I have never seen three children want a t-shirt so bad in their lives. Thankfully, we got <laughs> three of them because holy crap, right? But oh man. I imagine if you they didn't, yeah. So but let's think back to our recent interview with Ada Vox. And Ada was talking about we were talking about children with drag with Ada Vox. And Ada said, you know, I've never known anyone to be at a drag performance and not experience joy. Yeah. Total joy. That's what the whole thing is about. And I think people need to realize that this is about entertainment and joy and community and happiness. Exactly. So anyways, that 
that is that. And um, I can't wait to take my daughter to more drag performances and story hours and et cetera, et cetera things as she maybe i'll put on a wig and come over you don't know i mean of course that would be that would be the drag horror show the drag nightmare show that you don't, don't don't want her to experience but maybe i'll have leilani make me up and come over oh there we go that would be fun i can't believe i just put that into the universe <laughs> now it's doomed to happen anyways this was a great interview this was a good time thanks so much chris and um listeners keep listening as you might have noticed there's been so many extra episodes in the month of june and june is not even half over as of today it is almost officially halfway point stay tuned there's more coming Happy Pride, everybody.